as Julie mentioned, today's uh, message covers a chapter and a half uh, entitled Ahithophel and Hushai, the two main characters of this story. But because the text is so long, but a really exciting story, I, I thought about uh, summarizing it and skipping through it. But I decided to to the text. So we're going to read every single verse and do the exposition through it and taking our time. So I'm trying to begin with a recap. And for those of you, especially those of you uh, who missed the last couple of messages or not, and this will be helpful, but it will be very short. Let's start with... Uh, Absalom's <coughs> revolt. Absalom was obviously David's son, and his David's first son was tragically died, actually killed by Absalom. And then Absalom was soon to be king. But because of his bitterness, because of his resentfulness, Really turn into the ambition, the self-rationalized, righteous, self-righteous ambition. If I become king, I will never be like my father. My people will see justice because his half sister, I mean, his full sister, Amnon's half sister, was raped by his half brother Amnon. David, King David didn't do anything. And his life, his relationship was estranged from his father. And four years of conspiring, he finally revolted. The scripture said he won the hearts of Israelites. When finally David found out, there was a sense of immediate urgency that uh, the, the coup d'etat happened in Hebron. And they are about to come in to the main city, the capital city, the city of David, Jerusalem. And David find out, we need to pack up right now and go. He left only his concubines, 10 concubines, to keep his palace in order. The rest of he and his men were fleeing, escaping hurriedly before Absalom comes into the town. And, that, and in so doing, that there are people who deserted and abandoned, uh, betrayed David. There are some loyal people who came with David. But interestingly, there are two counselors to the, to the king. And one of them was uh, Ahithophel and the other one was Hushai. Hushai is the one who's loyal, came to David to go with him. But and yet Ahithophel, who's known as a great strategist, betrayed him. We'll find out his inner motive a little bit 
more later. And he conspired to Absalom. And knowing that David sent Hushai back to Jerusalem, saying that you will do better things for me by being, first by winning the heart, trust of Absalom, and by becoming his counselor, and to make sure you go undercover, and so that Ahithophel's great strategy advices will turn into foolishness. So our passage today begins with Hushai going back. And what's he doing? Basically, he's trying to win. Notice how he's tactful here. And notice what he's using in his wisdom to get Absalom. Because Hushai was a great friend to, to his father's um, side as a counselor and a friend. And then he has obviously suspicion. We begin with 2 Samuel chapter, 17, chapter 16, beginning with verse 15. Now Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel with him. And when Hushai the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king, long live the king. The, and Absalom said to Hushai, is this your loyalty, your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? And Hushai said to Absalom, No, for whom the Lord and his people and all the men of Israel have chosen, his I will be, and with him I will remain. And again, whom shall I, should I serve? Should it not be his son, as I have served your father, so I will serve you. This might be very subtle, but what Hushai is doing is basically buttering him up. But he knows what to touch. Absalom already won the hearts of Israelites. And then he would love to hear that God has chosen him and the people have chosen him. He would love to hear the affirmation, confirmation of that. And it comes from the wise man Hushai saying, the reason I came back is God has chosen you and the people have chosen you. And with you, I will be. So he fell for it. And now we get to hear four vignettes of this story, beginning with Absalom asking Ahithophel's counsel. It is a devastatingly effective strategy for David and his men. Chapter 16, verse 20 below. Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, 
give you counsel. What shall we do? Ahithophel said to Absalom, go into your father's concubines, concubines whom he has left to keep the house. And all Israel will hear that you have made yourself a stench to your father. And the hands of all who are with you will be strengthened. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof. And Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Now, in those days, the counsel, of, counsel that Ahithophel gave was as if one consulted the word of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed both by David and by Absalom. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, let me choose 12,000 men and I will arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he is weary and discouraged and throw him into a panic and all the people who are with him will flee. I will strike down only the king and I will bring all the people back to you as a bride comes, to, comes home to her, to her husband. You seek the life of only one man, and all the people will be at peace. And the advice seemed right in the, si in the eyes of Absalom and all the elders of Israel. Wow. The first counsel Absalom gives was not a military strategy. It was actually political advice. And you have to understand that the ancient days like this, the what appears, the king appears as not only a politically sovereign person, but as a man, a, a godlike figure, and including sexual potency. The dominance was so critical. So imagine this, the whole Israelites are just stirred by all this coup d'etat and then king, their king, chosen king David left. And Absalom was good looking. Remember his hair and he, he was one of the most good looking men in all Israel and make the announcement and they see uh, on the top of the roof of palace, the tent was pitched and the 10 beautiful women going into the tent, followed by the Absalom. And one of the commentators say, said that uh, although the sexual, very sexual acts, they could not see, but it's a you know, Hitchcock factor happens. If you're lo lo uh, movie lovers, you will, you will understand the, the magic of Hitchcock's movie in terms of when, when there is a shower scene and, and then the, you know, that 
murder happens, instead of showing the murder, and they see, you see the only water flowing with the blood, and then woman cringing on it. Why is that? Imagination happened. And what was that important? It was to secure. The coup d'etat is successful. The reign of new king has come. He is immovable. He is powerful. And in, his, in David's face. It's, it's kind of unthinkable that it's, this is a, your, your, your father's counterpart. But we also know that it was uh, Nathan's prophecy, the, the word of the Lord spoken through Nathan was just fulfilled. Because of David's horrific sin against God, um, not only taking another man's wife, his loyal friend and mighty warrior, a general, one of the generals, Uriah and his wife Bathsheba, he had an adultery. And to cover it up, he killed through Joab's hand and by sending him the war. And then he took Bathsheba as his wife. And Nathan confronted, and obviously the heart of David chosen, shown there, he repented. I have sinned against the Lord. And then Lord mercifully uh, forgives him and Nathan says you will not die but because you've done this in the sight of God your family will rise against you. Well, obviously Absalom's revolt was that. And you have done this in, the, in, the, in secret, but the Lord will do this by giving your wives to an, another neighbor, your neighbor. And this was fulfilled. So when you, when you think about the brutality of it. It's almost like rubbing the salt on, on David's wound. There's some questions about what goes on through Ahithophel's heart. What's his motive? It's more than just brilliance. It's his bitterness as well. But we'll get to that later. Um, his second advice is military advice, and it was a great, great strategy. He knows what he's talking about. He's basically saying, 
you don't have to do a thing, king. Uh, you could just enjoy the ten concubines while I take over. Uh, give me some men, uh, 12,000 men, and I'll go after David. They packed up and hurriedly escaped, and they're in chaos. They don't have a supply. They don't have anything together in terms of army-wise. And I'll go. Just focus on King David only and kill him and bring the rest of them. It was a brilliant idea. And <coughs> we'll, we'll find out why uh, Absalom just, oh, he initially thought that it was a great idea and his other counselors. So instead of going with him, he actually asked Hushai's opinion about that as well. Um, and we, we will find out more about the true the motive and other things about Ahithophel as well. But what's not seen is God is not absent in this. The true character, main character is sovereign God. And here is the moment that I think we need to pay attention to our own lives as well. The, uh, 2017 might have gone not the way you imagined and things went wrong. For some of us, it was just bitter, wrong things. Hurtful things happened. But through the eye, lens of eyes, we could see that God is still in control. That God is at work. But unless we patiently and silently pay attention to what God is doing, we will miss that. Psalm 55 uh, the whole psalm was written during this time. And then, um, not only about Absalom's betrayal, this, uh, this psalm points to the betrayal of a close friend. And it, it just vividly portrays what David went through. And basically, he's talking about one of the closest accounts, King's counselor, Ahithophel. Verse 12, for it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. You used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. Let death still over them. Let them go down to shoal alive, for evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. He's talking about Ahithophel. 
And now we turn to the second vignette of the story, which is Hushai's counter counsel. Um, and we'll find out what he's really trying to do is to give David more time. Remember, Hushai is now acting as a double agent. In chapter 17, verse 5, then Absalom said, Call Hushai the archite also, and let us hear what he has to say. And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom said to him, Thus has Ahithophel spoken. Shall we do as he says? If not, you speak. Then Hushai said to Absalom, This time the counsel that Ahithophel has given is not good. Hushai said, You know that your father and his men are mighty men and that they are enraged like a bear robbed of his, her cups in the field. Besides, your father is an is expert in war. He will not spend the night with the people. Behold, even now he has hidden himself in one of the pits or in some other place. And as soon as some of the people fall, at the first attack, whoever hears it will say, there has been a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. Then even the valiant man, whose heart is like the heart of lion, will utterly melt with fear, and all Israel knows, and your father is a mighty man, and that those who are with him are valiant men. But my counsel is that all Israel be gathered to you from Dan to Beersheba as the sand by the sea for multitude and that you go to battle in person so we shall come upon him in some place where he is to be found and we shall light up light upon him as the dew falls on the ground and of him and all the men with him not one will be left. If he withdraws into city, then all Israel will bring ropes to the city, and we shall drag it into the valley until not even a pebble is to be found there. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Hushai, the archite, is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. For the Lord has ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. Hushai is brilliant about persuading. But it's not his human skill. But somehow... This obvious things, and comparing with these two strategy, and the Absalom will feel drawn to Hushai's over Ahithophel's. It's just mind-boggling. But if we pay attention just a little more, there's a few factors we could see. The Hushai's advice was twofold. One is reminding that my David and his men are mighty warrior. 
They're known for many, many, many battles. Incredible battles. So what he's saying is the first attack, if you do not win, the slaughter of your men will scare the heck out of everyone. Kind of good, good strategy in terms of reminding him to go the other way. And then another one is another, the same thing about his vanity. It's using flattery. From Dan to Beersheba, it's like a, the, the north, uttermost north to the uttermost south of the land. So from our cases, I, I guess, when you think about from New York to L.A., gather all people. Why? Because you want to win, not with just a slight margin of it, but you want to overcome David's army like a conquering king. And everybody will see that. It's like boosting his ego again, right? But in so doing, what Hushai is looking for is it's going to take some, a lot of time to gather people. And that's exactly what David needs. He needs to take, he needs time to run and regroup and get ready for this battle. The scripture doesn't say Hushai knew that his advice was chosen over Ahithophel yet. It doesn't seem like it. Did you see that? The Lord has ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel. It was actually God's providential care. God's sovereignty was in this. And also it was an answer to David's feeble prayer. When he was running away on the way uh, from exiling from Jerusalem, he find out Ahithophel went with Absalom. He was one of the conspirators who were among them, and he uttered a prayer. Oh, no. May the Lord make Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. So it wasn't even a, like a mighty warrior's prayer it was just a feeble, like, Lord, have mercy on me. Turn his counsel into foolishness that he is answering here. There are things that we cannot understand when God's providential care comes. You know, next Sunday, Julie's going to make an announcement about that, but we'll have a, our annual meeting. We, we, we call it a Crossway family annual meeting. Why, why do we call it family annual meeting? Because we don't want to call it a political event to it, which typically calls it a town hall meeting to vote and things like that. No, this is a time for us to talk about family business. One of the family business that we're going to talk about is zoning issue. The city of Santa Ana declared that zoned 
our area is zoned as a professional zone, the house of worship is forbidden. So we don't know what's going to happen to where we're going to stay. The uncertainty is still there. I can't say it right now. All I'm going to say, you got to come to that night to hear that. It's a mind-boggling. It's like, it's like Absalom going with the Hushai's advice against this great advice that Ahithophel gave. It's also mind-boggling that David's feeble prayer, breath prayer, was answered with God, mighty presence of God. That's exactly what's happening. Our elders were shaking their head. They're like, whoa, this, why is this happening? The question is, do you have eyes of faith? Ears of faith? When you see the visible things, do you believe that there is God who is sovereign, whose providence is sovereign in all things? Even we think the world is crumbling upon uh, down us. Do you have eyes to see that God is in control? That you belong to him? That you are the apple of his eyes if you belong to him. That he will provide care, not a feeble care, but sovereign, providential care to fulfill his purpose, to bring his glory to himself, that we will be satisfied with fullness of joy in him. All that is the heart of our vision at Crossway. And God is not means to an end. That we trust God so that he will bring good things and blessings. It's called idol. Third vignette is the two young men show up. Ahimaaz and Jonathan. They are the two sons of the priest. Zadok and uh, Abithai. Verse 15 of chapter 17. Then Hushai said to Zadok and, and uh, Abithai, the priest, thus and so did Ahithophel counsel Absalom and the elders of Israel and thus and so have I counsel. Now therefore send quickly and tell David. Do not stay tonight at the fords of the wilderness. But by all means pass over. Lest the king and the, all the people who are with him be shallowed up. Swallowed up, I'm sorry. Now Jonathan and Ahimaaz were waiting at the Anne Rogel. A female servant was to go and tell them, and they were to go and tell King David, for they were not 
to be seen entering the city. But a young man saw them and told Absalom. So both of them went away quickly and came to the house of a man at Bahurim, who had a well in his courtyard. And they went down into it. And the woman took and spread a covering over well's mouth and scattered grain on it, and nothing was known of it. When Absalom's servants came to the woman at the house, they said, Where are Ahimaaz and Jonathan? And the woman said to them, They have gone over the brook of water. And when they had sought and could not find them, and they returned to Jerusalem. After they had gone, the, the men came out of the well and went and told King David. They said to da David, Arise and go quickly over the water, the water meaning Jordan River. For thus and so has Ahithophel counseled against you. And David, then David arose and all the people who were with him, and they crossed the Jordan. By daybreak, not one was left who had not crossed the Jordan. So as I mentioned, I think Hushai didn't even know the king has chosen his, the, uh, Absalom has chosen his advice. So he's warning them, just in case, hurry up. This is urgent, impending danger. And Jonathan um, and Ahimaaz were helped by a friendly accomplice, or just a woman, nameless woman. And he, he, she covers the well and spreads the grain as if she's doing something on it. But this, this, this might not look like a just something that is, you know, extraordinary. In a, like a movie scene, it's supposed to happen that way. But when you put yourself in that, it will take extra, extraordinary courage to tell a lie, to protect and to hide these two young men. And that courage, extra courage, would not have come from anywhere except your faith in the Lord. That God has chosen David. That he's is continually hovering over him in spite of the current uh, crisis. Oh, of course, you, if you find out, you could get killed instantaneously. And other, other biblical characters, Rahab, uh, did a similar thing. Uh, we will not get into that nitty-gritty things about um, that, but let's point to this. This wasn't merely a woman's help. It was a providential care of God. God was in it. And if you look at this instant I, this important message, impending message. If message, this message was not 
conveyed to David and his men for the urgency of it, the story might end it differently. But they went over the, the river Jordan and they had a time to actually regroup and get ready for the battle against Absalom's army. And the fourth and last vignette is about these uh, three non-Israelites, Shobai, Makir, and Basilai. The, these are the three people uh, who actually come to David when David's own tribe, tribe of Judah, abandoned him and went with Absalom. Verse 23 of chapter 17. When Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he settled his donkey and went off home to his own town. He set his house in order and hanged himself. And he died and was buried in the tomb of his father. Then David came to Mahanaim, and Absalom crossed the Jordan with all the men of Israel. Now Absalom had set Amasa over the army instead of Joab. Amasa was the son of man named Ithra the Ishmaelite, who had married Abigail, the, the daughter of Nahash, sister of Zeruiah, Joab's mother, and Israel and Absalom encamped in, 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 in the land of Gilead. When David came to Mahanaim, Shobai, the son of Nahash, from the Rabbah of the Ammonites, and Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar, and Barzillai, the Gileadite from Rogelim brought baths, basins, and earthen vessels, wheat, barley, flour, parched grain, beans, and lentils, honey and curds, and sheep and cheese from the herd for David and the people with him to eat. For they said, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. Oh, I love this part of the story. It sounds like a little fillers of petty things, right? But and yet, there's a, so much of deep truth and wisdom and, and the lessons there for us. Ahithophel's tragic end. Doesn't it remind you about Judas Iscariot who betrayed our Lord Jesus? That he killed himself as well. But if you look at Ahithophel with a great mind and he's a brilliant skill of strategy, we saw this hollow man, emptiness. His self-reliance as well. In other words, when his counsel was not taken, 
He has nothing more left. Remember, the whole Israel thought of Ahitophel's counsel as the word of God, as if they consulted, consulted God. That status and pride is all he got. And when he was thrown down, the self-reliance, self-righteousness went with it too. But there is a little more. So I've been hinting that um, Ahithophel had bitterness, actually bitter anger. You know why? If you pay attention to our sermon series, you will know, you remember Bathsheba was his granddaughter. When Bathsheba was taken, it was basically when king forced her to, to sleep with him, either he, her, her life was on the line. If she says no, they, they, they could, she could get killed. So the, it, it's, it's even not a, just a mutual affair. It was a rape. And his son-in-law was killed because of that. Everybody could sense all this manipulation. But King got away with it. And his bitterness probably sat deep in with him. And his even first counsel about political counsel was to secure Ahithophel's reign. And coup d'etat was actually more his vengeful action. You did that to my granddaughter, my son-in-law, my grandson-in-law, you'll pay for it. And I'm going to go against you. And that besides, in his pragmatic mind, entrepreneurial mind, he saw that Absalom had upper hand. He's in, and David's out. Heart of the people are with Absalom. So I'm going to go with him. When that whole thing didn't go his way, this is so tragic. Of course, we will not do such a horrific things uh, like Ahithophel, but when we pay attention to the bitterness that we sit with and stuck with, I will not forgive. Or whatever my upbringing was, I'm just, whatever I turned out, it was my parents' fault. It was my teacher's fault. It was my pastor's fault. My church's fault. You sit in that bitterness. And that leads you to self-destruction. Self and you become more and more self-reliant. When things are going well, you feel like you're sovereign in the place of God. We all been there. Because it's, it's, it's not an extraordinary mode of our life, heart. It is default mode of wicked heart of human. But the beautiful part about this is that these three non-Israelites 
who were benefited by David's kindness in the past remembered the kindness and came with generosity and thoughtfulness. So think about running away from the city. They had packed nothing. They were hungry. Even if they have food, they don't even have a container. Pots and pans, earthen vessels. And even from our point of view, several, I mean, makes you hungry, feel hungry, right? When you hear the lentils and cheese and grain and flour and barley and beans. Let's remember this too was God's sovereign providential care. We sometimes think about God as a God of universe and yes, God who controls uh, history and the, the plan of salvation. He watches over the church, the body of Christ, universal body of Christ in the, in the earth, that he will come as a conquering king. But remember, our Lord, our own Lord Jesus, taught us to pray. Give us our daily bread. Our Father in heaven. Our Abba, my dear Father, in heaven, give us daily bread. Well, you know what that means? As much as we pray for mission and globalization of the, the gospel, that we become missional to everywhere, it is also important for us to pray for our daily bread, to pay attention to that. Nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, the true faith is childlike reliance on God. Now that points out even more so about the nature of Christian life. Christian life is not figuring things out. There's some far away, the sovereign being and supreme being. You better not mess up with him because he is powerful. He's he holds the future of yours. The fate is in your hand. You better co comply. No, the picture that Jesus is picturing is your heavenly father, God, is your like endearing dad who wants, wants to walk with you. The intimate relationship of day by day in small things and good things big things. The first story so far, when I meditate on it and study on it, uh, first of all, it was really exciting, entertaining. So I didn't need my K-drama. <laughs> but I as I thought about more and more the real sweet juice, wisdom and insight comes out of this story that I need and I think all of us need. 
there's at least three lessons. The lesson hinges on God's providence, God's sovereignty for caring for his people. The providential care of God seems to be the theme, running theme in this story. Here's the first one. God's, sovereign, God's providential care is for those who are in the center of God's will and purpose. God's providential care is for those who are in the center of God's will and purpose. What do I mean by that? God watches over those who belong to him as the apple of his eye. The providential care is always available when we surrender ourselves and entrust ourselves into the hands of not the periphery of God's will, barely making it, but in the center, smack in the center of it. When the storm comes, the eye of storm is most quiet, calm place. The center of God's will is the safest place. Lest you misunderstand what I'm saying, I want to put a little uh, qualification and understanding of this uh, principle and lesson. God's providential care is for those who are surrendering themselves in the center of God's will and purpose, but God's sovereignty and providence happens to everyone. God doesn't need your cooperation to, to declare and, and actually flesh out his sovereignty, that he's in control, which, which means that we could do whatever we want to do, we may be able to do, but we're going to run into our own brokenness and run into wall. We get bleed and hurt, but God's sovereignty is in there. God's providential care will come as soon as you surrender to it. And we experience it. We experience joy in the midst of suffering and sadness and sorrow. We will get to the full story later when the civil war between uh, Absalom's army and David's army really clashes. And really, I think we, we will need another two, two messages to get to that. Um, but today, I think about a couple of things. First of all, we need to see difficult things as well as good things through faith. Remember, if God is the center, we're not the center, and God is not means to an end, God is the end goal of our life, difficult things are in God's control. We cannot understand. Don't patronize people who are going through suffering and hardships uh, if God has good things for you 
No, it might not be fully understood until we get to heaven, until we die physically. Will we trust that God is in sovereign care? When Jesus was in Gethsemane, with full of stress and dripping his uh, sweat like a blood, God was silent. When cry, in cried out, cried out at the top of his lung on the cross, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Of course, he said that to fulfill the prophecy of Old Testament, but not just that. That was the heart cry of human side of Jesus the Son. God was silent. And if you are in there, the questions about it's not fair. God must not do that. So we are in the center figuring things out, our small mind trying to understand the wisdom of God. So from our point of view, now we understand. If Jesus was somehow saved by God the Father and instantaneously all the Roman soldiers were killed, including the high priest and the Jewish leaders, our salvation would not be there. The redemptive blood of Jesus would not be shed. On the one side, I'm saying, let's not patronize teleological reasons of our suffering. By that I mean, there's always happy ending. This didn't happen because God wants to give you better thing. No, sometimes, if you think about my brother who has uh, incurable disease, PML, and some of you guys don't know, but let me just briefly say uh, he was sentenced to live one year, but God saved his life. But in the damage that he, uh, his infection on the brain happened, already affected his right side, right hand. He cannot write as a pastor and teacher, writer. And he cannot speak because the impeachment happened. And that we are saying, some, somehow saying that God is going to make him of more fluent, more powerful preacher of the world, that's a man-centered theology. Last week, I was able to take you know, my wife and kids and went to support my brother who preached for five minutes. In his last sermon was five years ago. Oh, he was, it was so moving. I didn't ask Soren to do it, prompted him, and he somehow prompted, he felt like he, he wanted to record the whole thing. I'm proud of him, very proud of him. And he posted it on his Facebook page. That you could actually see that. He, he made it public. You don't even have to have a Facebook. But even though he was a five-minute five message, 
you could tell that he's struggling. And he said he practiced, he sounded much more fluent than I expected. Everyone thought he was, but he could feel the effort. And his eldest son was translating, interpreting consecutively, paragraph by paragraph, uh, such a depth. Lesson number two. I found this poem, uh, commonly known as by uh, Corey Tamboom, uh, after looking at it more, uh, paying attention to the source a little bit more. So Corey Tamboom quoted this poem and used this poem to talk about her life. Corey Tamboom's famous book, The Hiding Place. Uh, she was a Dutch woman who helped Jewish people to escape the Holocaust. Uh, later on, she was encamped in the concentration camp along with the Jews, and he, uh, Corey and her sister were survived through that, but Betty died in there. And there they experienced all the shame and nakedness and terrible conditions. And then later on, she wrote this book, and suddenly she was known internationally. So it's incredible. I would highly recommend that hiding place. It was, it was just mind mind blowing book. And she uses this. Maybe author is unknown uh, poem as her life. And entitled "Life is But a Weaving." It's also known as a tapestry poem. My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors He weaveth steadily. Oft times He weaveth sorrow, and I, in foolish pride, forget He sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand and as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned, he knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. Brothers and sisters, The essence of trust but our faith according to the scripture not the pragmatic spirituality pop psychology not the prosperity gospel but according to the way of Jesus to entrust our entire life in the sovereign care Willingly.
And when things are going well, you could say, God is good. God cares for us. God cares for my family. But did you know that throughout the Bible, there are horrific situations in which God's people trusted God and experienced the fullness of joy. Even in the face, even in the death, they were able to die. And singing praises to the Lord. And the most beautiful, comforting thing about my brother is not that he is somehow doing better. He is just not the same guy. The five minute he spoke, it took so much of energy in him. He was drained. And you could tell his awkward pronunciation of each word. Just painstakingly slowly. But beauty of all this that he has a peace amidst of all this he has a joy because God is real God is sovereign lesson number two God's providential is providential care is sadly missed when you are stuck in bitter anger and self-reliance. Of course, Absalom's case as well, but today's focus is on Ahithophel and his life and how he ended his, his own suicide. We need to learn this. But we need to learn not from distancing ourselves from him, but to see the commonality in us with him. His bitter anger, his self-reliance is actually our default mode of the heart. We could easily do that. And maybe you already know, if I ask you, do you know any friend, any, any family members who are stuck Within bitterness for two, three, five, ten, twenty years, they haven't spoken to each other. Yeah, you could do that. And do you know people who are self reliant? They refuse to be dependent on any faith, not to mention even people. Yes, they could do that. And you could do that. And there might be some momentous success and fame like Ahithophel, but in the end, there's emptiness. There's destruction. The key is when things are going well, we need to see ourselves. We need to see our brokenness. We are to really Choose the way of cross, the way of the cross as our way. Way of the cross is painful. It's a self-submission. It's a taking pain. 
humiliation in asking for forgiveness or, or to give forgiveness, to release our bitterness. And that's some of you need to do that before 2017 is over. As long as it is up to you, you could restore peace. What about those, those cases that those people are stuck, that you even if you want to make peace, the scripture commands us that we are to forgive and release regardless. That it will take time for that person to uh, make peace with you. Might not happen this life. Here comes the, the, the default mode of American way. As a teenager, I, Frank Sinatra's song, My Way, was a hit, and I, I, I loved it. And I tried to memorize the lyrics. And then later on, I find out more and more about what the scripture says. It is absolutely the opposite of the way of God, the way of Jesus. I did it my way. Yes, you could do it your, your way. Ending in emptiness, disillusionment, and destruction. And the last one is eternal destruction, being separated <coughs> from God. Third and last uh, Lesson that God's providential care is also in small things of our daily need as our Abba's tender care. I'm reiterating and synthesizing once more that God cared for their hunger, their earthen vessels, and then containers and lentils and Cheese for they're tired and hungry. So I'm thankful for the small things that God provides for us. And I actually thankful for Soren got his first job and he had orientation. He's looking forward to work at bookstore in Irvine Valley College. I'm proud of you, son. And God provided for us. So in your own life, when you look at small things and small needs, God cares for us. So many of you have needs that we're praying for in Saturday morning as we're going through each thing. Peter, we pray for God's Loving, healing hand is on your back. Your pain means a lot to his tender care. So may that surgery be successful, continually heal your back so that you may be able to stand without pain or looking like an old man. 
What are your thoughts about this year? Where does God place? Where do you see God, God's hand? Before this year is over, let's acknowledge it. Let's acknowledge that not only he is in the center of the universe, but in the center of our, each one of our lives with sovereign care, providence of God is there. And my prayer for each one of us is that we will start a new year with a new passion and zeal for that intimacy with God. Not the legalism. That's why we fight for joy with scripture every morning and through prayer. And what better proof are there than the people who are satisfied with God. Not dutiful with God only. So are you satisfied with God's providential care? Are you satisfied with God himself, that he is intimate father journeying with you day by day in small things and good big things because he cares for you. Because you're the apple of his eye. May the Lord keep you and bless you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in this year and in the coming, the new year 2018. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you that you are sovereign Lord. We acknowledge you and worship you. We give you our honor, our, our uttermost devotion to you. We give you our center. Come each one into each one of our lives. And help us to experience and taste that Lord is indeed good. We're praying that we'll make us satisfied people. The people with fullness of joy. Not because of happenings and circumstances in our lives. But because you are so good and better than all things we could taste in this earth. I pray for those people who go through a difficult time, uh, sufferings in their uh, health and marriage and children, the serious disease of our loved ones. May you comfort them. May you remind them about your providential care. In the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit.
we pray. Amen.